I think it was John Ryle, one of the previous bishops of Liverpool, who said, if I want to know about the God you believe in, I will just listen to your prayers. That's a very profound thought. If I want to know about the God you believe in, I will just listen to your prayers. Prayer is important. And what we pray is very important. Which is why, while he was on earth, the Lord Jesus taught us how to pray and what to pray. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been making our way through the Lord's Prayer, uh, really the disciples' prayer, a model or structure for prayer that Jesus expects his followers to pray on a regular basis. And so if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me again to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to have a look at verses 9 through 13. Our Lord Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. So far in this series, we've dealt with the part of the prayer that deals with God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we've said that if we start our prayer correctly by focusing on God and his kingdom and his will and his name, then the rest of our prayer is likely to fall into place too. And now this morning we move on to the second part of the prayer that begins to address our needs. And we're going to start with the first phrase in that section, the first request that we make of God for ourselves. Verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Now, at first glance, that request seems pretty straightforward and clear, even obvious. But I'd like to go through it again, just a couple of words at a time, because I believe there's a real depth and richness to what we're asking of God here. Let's look firstly at the subject of this prayer. What is it? that we're actually asking for? And the answer is, of course, bread. But as I'm sure you'll recognize, this prayer for bread is slightly wider than just a request for food. There's a wide application to this word bread. The great Reformation pastor Martin Luther said that bread was a symbol for everything necessary for the preservation of this life like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. So in praying for bread, we're asking God to meet our physical needs. It's very interesting that some of the older commentators of the earlier centuries were quite uncomfortable with this idea that we should pray for bread especially after the grand opening words of the prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. They thought it was too great a drop into the ordinary to suddenly have to pray about something as mundane as food. 
And so they interpreted the word bread figuratively and spiritually. Uh, They thought it referred to the word of God, the Bible, or else to the special bread of the communion service. Uh, Jerome, who was a priest who lived in 400 AD and was responsible for translating the Bible into Latin, translated this phrase as, give us today our super substantial bread. Again, referring to communion. I'm really glad that idea didn't catch on. Uh, It would have spoiled the prayer a little bit for me. Uh, Give us today our super substantial bread. Sounds a little bit like an advert for health bread. And it would have also been very difficult to set to music too. Give us today our super substantial bread. But also, it would lose sight of a very important point, and that is that God is interested in the mundane. There isn't an area of your life or my life that God isn't interested in. You can't just think that he's only interested in our church attendance or Bible study or prayer. He's interested in the mundane parts of our lives. There isn't a part of our life that God would say, don't bother me about that. God is interested in our physical needs. He's given us physical bodies. Our bodies are important and they have needs and God knows that. But the Apostle Peter in the New Testament tells us, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God invites us to come and bring all our physical, spiritual, emotional needs to him. I think that the word bread is important for a second reason too, because bread was the staple food of that time, the common basic foodstuff that you would have at every meal, as it is for much of our world today. I guess that if Jesus had been addressing the residents of China, he would have said, give us today our daily rice. Or if he'd been addressing the Italians, he would have said, give us today our daily pasta. Or if he'd been addressing parts of our own community, he would have said, give us today our daily pup. Just the staple, common, basic foodstuff. Jesus didn't teach us to pray, give us today our daily cake. (laughs) He taught us to ask God for bread, our basic need. Uh, To use a common wordplay, Jesus tells us to speak to God about our needs, not our greeds. In contrast to many who use Jesus to try and advance their upwardly mobile consumer lifestyle, in his prayer, Jesus teaches the vitally important concepts of simplicity and contentment. Later in the New Testament, we have Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world. And we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Pastor Charles Swindoll puts it this way in one of his books. It helps us model contentment if we boil life down to its essentials and try to simplify our lifestyle. And this verse spells out those essentials. Something to eat, something to wear, a roof over our heads, Everything beyond that we would do well to consider as extra. It's interesting to see that there's a reference to daily bread in the Old Testament, in Proverbs chapter 30, 
the writer prays in this way. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Just what we need for today. Give us our daily bread. Secondly, in this verse, we see the source for our daily bread. And the source is reflected in the words, give us. We're asking for something that we don't have and that somebody else does have. That someone being God. In other words, we come as those who are dependent on God. And here's another important concept then, the concept of humble dependency. We don't demand anything from God. We humbly ask him, and we do so recognizing our own bankruptcy. You see, the fact of the matter is that we often think that we are in control, and that we are smart, and that our own education and intelligence and connections and hard work have got us where we are today. But that's an illusion. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites are about to enter the promised land. Up until this point, they've been nomadic wanderers, and now they're about to become land barons, own their own farms and houses and fields. And so Moses pauses and warns them, when you get into this land and you enjoy vineyards you haven't planted and live in houses you haven't built, you may be tempted to forget God. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You see, everything that we have this morning, all that we are, is actually a gift. Food, it's a gift. Clothing, it's a gift. Your home, it's a gift. That breath you just took, it's a gift. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in the New Testament. Speaking of God, he says, He himself gives all men life, breath, and everything else. Although we think we're in control, we're completely dependent on God as our source for daily bread and everything else that we need to. Thirdly, let's look at the schedule for this prayer. When do we want this bread? Well, today and daily. It's an interesting phrase that, our daily bread. I think that J.B. Phillips got to the heart of the phrase in his paraphrase of the New Testament. He wrote, give us each day the bread we need for the day. And you must remember that Jesus is speaking to people who were paid daily. They didn't get a monthly salary or an annual bonus. They were paid day by day. You worked a day's work and you got a day's pay. And daily wages weren't so huge that people could go away and save a great deal either. You could save a little bit. Many people were subsistence farmers, and so any drought or flood could be catastrophic. Now our problem is that we live in a world of pantries and deep freezers and bank accounts and medical aids and insurance policies. 
I don't need to pray, give me bread for today. I've probably got enough stuff in the fridge and pantry to last me a week, maybe two at a stretch. I don't need to pray, give me bread for today. That's what I think. (laughs) But it's not true. As we've just seen, everything that we have comes from God, and we need to remember that each day. It's difficult to remember. It's difficult when your salary check comes in regularly every month to stop and to pause and to thank God for his provision. Just check on the phone, did it come come in this month? Or do we pause and say thank you to God? It's difficult when you've been eating three meals every day of your life to pause and give genuine thanks for what you're receiving from God. Most of our grace is simply a way of saying, let's eat, in a spiritual way. This daily reliance on God for food was something that the nation of Israel learned out in the desert. Remember that for 40 years the Israelites were in the desert, and there they ate manna, the bread of angels, the psalmist calls it. But let's have a quick look at a description of that in Exodus 16. We read that in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew had gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. The word manna means, what's it? (laughs) In other words. Moses said to them, It's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs, Take an omer, about 1.4 kilograms, for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. They gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it didn't stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. See that that pattern? Day by day, God provided for them. In this case, without them even asking. (laughs) And day by day, God provides for us too, often without us having to ask. Some of us pray, give us today our daily bread, because we don't have and we are asking to receive. Others of us pray it because we do have, and we are asking that we might continue to receive. But in either case, we can rest in God, who promises us in Philippians chapter 4, to meet all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, God has got this. God has got you. Remember that, that the Lord's Prayer is given within the wider context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And just a few verses later in this sermon, Jesus says to us, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Is not life more important than food? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Fourthly, not only do we have the subject and the source and the schedule, but we need to look at the seekers in this prayer. Who are the seekers? Who is it that is praying this prayer? Now, if you answered me, you've got it wrong. The seekers are us. Give us this day our daily bread. The prayer reminds us that we're part of a community and that we all need God's provision and that sometimes the source of God's provision is actually us. It's interesting that there's another reference to daily food in the Bible. It comes from the letter written by Jesus' half-brother, James, who tells us this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, that does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? I keep on being challenged by the picture that we have of the early church in Acts chapter 2, where Luke tells us all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. It's quite a picture. It speaks about a, a very dramatically countercultural family where they didn't do what the rest of the world did. They recognized that they were citizens of a different kingdom, and so they didn't hold on to everything, but, but shared it. It seems to me that increasingly we cannot rely on earthly governments to provide our communities with food and water and housing and sanitation and employment. Increasingly, then, we have to be a community, a family that looks after each other, that does together what we not, can't necessarily do alone. And so we need to find creative ways to do that. Our, our, our church, our church family, our community becomes countercultural, and so countercultural that we become a city on a hill that becomes a light to the nations. I have no idea how to do this, and it frightens me to think what that might look like and what the implications of that might be to my own life. But truly our citizenship is in heaven, and so we are those who are to have a different mindset to our capitalist consumer society. In one of his books, American pastor John Ortberg writes, Do I have a heart like Jesus? Do I care like God cares for people who are losing a home? Do I forget that the education I got and the opportunities that I received and the thousand other gifts that came my way were all gifts? I didn't earn them. They're not mine. Do I think I made good choices, I made right decisions, I'm morally superior, therefore I don't have to be concerned? Or do I pray, 
give us today our daily bread. So the subject, the source, the schedule, the seekers. And finally, as we close, this phrase of the prayer also points us to the Savior. A little earlier, I mentioned how the Israelites in the desert learned a daily rhythm of dependence on God through his provision of manna. It's very interesting that they didn't just learn daily reliance on God. In Deuteronomy 8, uh, the Israelites are about to enter the promised land. They've done the 40 years of wandering around. Now Moses brings them again to the edge of the land. And he summarizes their desert experience. He says to the Israelites, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your hearts, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. They learned, they learned God's provision, but they also learned something else too. Remember there, there were all of those careful instructions. Gather some today. Don't keep any overnight. Okay, it's Friday now. Gather twice as much today. Do keep some of it overnight. Tomorrow's Saturday. Don't go out and gather because there won't be any there. They learned dependence, but they also learned that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. They learned obedience. Now fast forward 1,500 years to John chapter 6. There you have Jesus beside the Sea of Galilee, and he performs this amazing miracle, giving bread to 5,000 people. And understandably, after that, crowds of people follow Jesus. And he says to them, quite frankly, you know, you're following me because I gave you bread. And they say to him, well, what sign are you going to give us so that we will believe in you? Moses gave our ancestors manna in the desert. What are you going to give us? Jesus says to them, the Father is giving you bread from heaven that gives life to the world. And they reply, Sir, evermore give us this bread. Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Far beyond food and drink and housing and employment, we need Jesus, the bread of life, who alone can fill our deepest needs. And have you accepted this amazing invitation for yourself? He says, whoever, anyone, everyone is invited to come. Have you experienced this deepest fulfillment for yourself? And then moving back from the content of this prayer, back to the practice of prayer, may I encourage you in this week that lies ahead to carve out time to be with him, to be in his word, 
to be in contact with him through prayer. And so to discover that indeed we don't live just on bread, but on every word that comes from his mouth. And that Jesus alone truly does satisfy. Let's pray together.